0: Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird and Andrew Gillis. And this is day three of how many more players from Ohio State's roster are going to go into the transfer portal. It seems like every time we do a new pod, there's a new name in it. And sometimes it's prominent people. And sometimes it's people who are just buried in the death chart. It feels like Nathan, over the last 24 hours, it's been a mixture of both of those people before we get into some other stuff. Let's start with Julian Fleming. Starting wide receiver, the past two years had a pretty productive year in twenty twenty two, and then in twenty twenty three, didn't follow that up. And you're not really sure how much of that is quarterback related versus you know Marvin Harrison Jr. being Marvin Harrison Jr. Kate Stover being more involved. But how much of a hit is this to Ohio State's wide receiver room right now in comparison to like maybe the future? The future I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, it's a hit to. It's
1: a hit to the Cotton Bowl roster, I would say. I don't know that it's a huge hit to the 2024 roster. No, no offense to Julian Fleming, and he obviously has been applauded for what he does as a blocker on the perimeter and how he helps the run game there. That's not a, a, a that's not nothing. But you're right, the the receiving production, he was probably the biggest victim, statistically, of Ohio State's sort of step back in terms of offensive production stepping back from being that you know 7 plus yard per play offense to like somewhere in the 6s i mean you could just look at the numbers like he he was actually he's never been healthier than he was this year right as far as we know he i think he played every game didn't miss any games um was not i don't know if he was ever even game time decision i'm i'm trying to remember just off the top of my head like a, a very healthy season by his standards by anyone's standards and yet it was a clear step back from where he was last year as in terms of production so i i do kind of think that you know he was a he was a very good football player and ohio state you know he definitely helped ohio state in that 2022 season be what as much as it could be but i also think you see that again he would still be one of the three best options for the cotton bowl by next year you have enough other guys on this roster. Do you think that they should be able to absorb this loss? What's really intriguing about it is where does he end up? Does he end up at a place like Penn state that desperately could Mm -hmm. have used someone like him this year and he can be showcased at Penn state in a way he was not going to be showcased at Ohio state.
0: Yeah. I remember that recruitment and how big of a deal it was that he didn't go to Penn state, which is 90 minutes away from his house, Andrew. And it's, it's still to this day, there are Penn state fans who are upset about that, that he never came to that school. It was a very big deal that he committed to Ohio State in the first place. He was actually, at the time, the third five-star recruit Ohio State had ever landed at wide receiver behind Jalen Marshall and then Garrett Wilson in 2019. So it was a big deal. And obviously injuries hampered him some, but also there was always going to be a longer development there as a guy who put in a wing T offense. So the idea that he would come in here and be Jackson Smith, the Jigba good from day one was probably never on the table for him, but a productive receiver, probably a underrated blocker sprung a lot of big time runs for Ohio State Andrew but this is the first of what we're expecting to be a decent exodus of the top of the room for the wide receivers going into 2024 and this opens up a spot for someone like Carnell Tate or Brandon Innis or Noah Rogers on down the line to maybe have a bigger role in the Cotton Bowl
2: yeah um you know lots to dive in there I I actually remember um Fleming's recruitment um, because my, I have family that lives up in in Pennsylvania, and that Southern Columbia program that he came from is is a really good program. Like you said, they run the wing tee just every year. Feels like they win a state championship. So it was going to be a transition for him, but it was a big deal that he did commit. I, I remember that kind of vividly, reading about that and kind of understanding that. Hey, this kid. Everybody wanted him to go to Penn State in that area, and he chose the Buckeyes. Um, so you, you you look at his career, and and you look at kind of where he can go from here. I and where Ohio State goes from here. I mean, I see a, a player who was not able to be supported, if that's the best way to say it. You know, you look at the offense. There's just there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, and when the offense does kind of take a step back, like it did this year you're not going to be able to produce the numbers like he had better numbers far better now he didn't score a touchdown this year i think he had 6 last year with cj stroud yep. so like the the numbers just were not able to to support that third receiver maybe fourth option in the room when you add in Cade Stover. And that doesn't even count in the times you have like Xavier Johnson in the backfield and things like that, where you can do a bunch of different things. So he was the one that kind of got squeezed out. So I think he can go somewhere and make an impact um, because I think you didn't really see his full potential. With Ohio State for the Cotton Bowl, have we not just seen this before? Like, have we not just seen oh, no, here goes this guy and that guy, and here's this four-star NFL receiver and blah, 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 and he goes to the league. And now you're kind of wondering, like, you're looking around, like, that John Travolta meme where you're just kind of, like, you got your hands up, like, who's left. And then all of a sudden, Carnell Tate's going to go for 125 in the bowl game, and it feels like everybody nationally and locally is going to go, oh, okay, well, here's the next guy. And I, I just, I mean, I think that it, it gives some opportunity. And, and I think that that's kind of the word of the cotton bowl for Ohio state opportunity and Ohio state at receiver is going to be one of those big positions because yeah, there's quarterback and you know, there's going to be a chance there. But I mean, you're talking a position that might have three guys of the, th- the top three guys get replaced. And now you're going into a cotton bowl where like you said, Stephen, you might have, carnell tate brandon ennis no rogers like you might see significant playing time for a, <clears throat> excuse me for a couple of those guys you're definitely going to see it for like a carnell tate so th- there's just going to be some some major opportunity going around in this cotton bowl with fleming going fun fact josh proctor and julian fleming
0: are the only people on this roster who have played a meaningful snap in the big 10 championship game nathan if you remember in 2020 josh proctor had the interception and he was one of the prominent people on that defense at the end of that season there and then julian fleming four catches 53 yards against northwestern in that game stepping in for chris olave who was out with COVID. so that's it so next year ohio state is not going to have a single player who knows what it's like to play in a big 10 championship game in a meaningful way depending like, on what before, happens like, in like, the, actually play meaningful snaps.
1: depending on what happens in the transfer portal depending on who comes in
0: that's that's fair. It, depending on. Yeah, that's true. As of right now, returning players to Ohio State's roster from the year before that. That's true. It's going to be interesting here now that Julian Fleming has fallen. Obviously, I think we're all just waiting until Marvin Harrison Jr. says he's declaring for the NFL draft. Maybe he plays. Maybe he doesn't. But if Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave's decisions in the past tell us anything, Denzel Wards, about how this might play out, it's maybe fair to expect that Marvin Harrison Jr. has already played his last game here, which leaves a Mackey What does he choose to do? Does he choose to play in the game regardless of whether he's leaving or not? Or does he, you know, leave? Does he not leave? These are all things that need to be decided here over the next 24, 23 days here. Julian Fleming would pro- probably have been the most prominent transfer, you know, if, like, the thing on Monday hadn't happened. I don't know if you guys heard, but Kyle McCord is also on the transfer portal. But there were he a what? Of- <laughs> Yeah, man. No. have that. That's it was crazy. This is a wild day. Two other transfers, I think, from— over the last 24 hours here, Nathan, Jacob James, the offensive lineman who at one point it felt like he was pushing to be the second team center behind Luke Whipler. And then obviously injuries got in the way of him and he fell to the wayside there. And then Reed Carrico, a former top 100 recruit, the second top 100 recruit from that 2021 class who has decided to go, go elsewhere.
1: Yeah, you're kind of two two different Paths for those guys. Obviously, I mean, Reed Caracoy came here as a top 100 prospect, but came committed to a program that started three linebackers and then became part of a program that started two and has had very little use for that third linebacker, only in certain packages. And it just reduced, constricted the amount of, of opportunities at that position. And he could never break through to that. I mean, this is, it, it, it's been sort of a theme at Ohio State since I started covering this team in 2019. that. These guys come in as highly ranked guys and then get immediately blocked for like multiple years, sometimes by guys who were not as highly ranked in in their own careers, their own um, their own prospect profile for whatever that's worth. But establish themselves as the reliable veterans in that room and and earn the trust of the coaching staff. And these other guys have not been able to surpass them. And in the past, that seemed like a problem. I don't think that's as much of a problem anymore. I think this coaching staff has shown an uh, willingness to play the young guy when the young guy deserves to play. So we'll find out maybe with the way this next year goes at linebacker, whether we think that was true or not at that position. We've seen enough evidence of it on the defensive line and then secondary to think it's true there. We'll see if it, if it turns out when we when we see what cj hicks and gabe powers and guys like this look like going forward but right now there's sort of a numbers issue that's creeping up in that linebacker room again with steel chambers and tommy eichenberg both leaving now reed carico leaving i know they've got some guys coming in with this freshman class there's also some other guys like Arvell reese like is he a linebacker he a defensive end they've got to figure out where exactly he fits so i this is a position where i already thought they sort of had to be active in the portal and i I believe this probably pushes him even more towards finding at least a depth guy. Like at least, you know, get a jihad Carter that plays linebacker, that sort of thing. Somebody who can come from a, a power five and level up and maybe he only provides depth. We don't know what's going to happen with Cody Simon. He is he's talked about maybe coming back and he obviously can move on. He's he's far enough into his career. If he comes back that does stabilize the room a little bit and either he starts or maybe he continues in the role that he already had this year along with Hicks and powers. We'll see. I think there's, there's a lot of unknowns in that room, but I think they need numbers. And with Jacob James, that's actually the second backup center going into the portal following Uh Vic Cutler. So uh, Carson Hensman's health, uh, which has not been an issue as far as we know, all season now, like becomes a bigger deal going into that game. We don't know if Matt Jones is going to play in, in that game or not in the cotton bowl that would be there. He, he's actually their backup center as we have speculated and, and even seen some evidence of, but when you're talking about, you know, this moves like that, it, we're probably not really going to affect who was going to play in the cotton bowl. I, I think in general, fans have this expectation that Ohio state may be able to go into the cotton bowl and just like play all the young dudes. But increasingly, the young dudes are leaving like the young dudes who were blocked are heading out the door. So these veterans who come back, you know, how state Ryan Day says they they want to win this game. And I, I understand why. So if guys like Tommy Eikenberg and steel chambers want to play in the cotton bowl, I don't think we're going to see much of CJ Hicks and Gabe powers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the frontline guys are going to play and it really that, that next level of young guys are sort of increasingly heading out the door, especially in the secondary right now Uh, That, like we said before, like that whole 2022 class of DBs other than Sonny styles is in the portal. The other three guys in that class. So you're either, you're going to have a situation where you've got your frontline guys and you've got the youngest of the young, some guys who are true freshmen and stuff. And that's a, that's kind of a weird place to be in going into a bowl game. So I, I right now, there's a lot of positions where I don't think you're going to see Ohio State experiment if it doesn't have to. You're going to probably see them put their veterans out there um, and and try to win that game.
0: Andrew, just quarterback might be number one on the things you need to find in the transfer quarter list, but it also might be not on the list, depending on how pe- he f- they feel about what they have in Demon Brown and, and Lincoln Keenholz. I think that's a slider scale one. But so outside of quarterback, where is linebacker? on the list of things you need to find in the portal this off season.
2: Down for me a little bit, because I think you need to find with linebacker. I, I look at linebacker as more of a, we need a veteran in that room. We need some depth in that room. Whereas on the offensive line, you need to start like, go get a starter. Like that, that would be kind of the impetus, right? Like go get a guy that can play immediately. Go get a starter. Um, in the secondary, you might need maybe not just, you know, maybe not a starter, but somebody that can play, you know, you might need, uh, somebody that can see some significant time, um, tight end. Do do you need to go get a starter? Do you feel good about where you're at? Do you, you probably need to go get a contributor? What about running back? Because like, uh, Evan Pryor's in the portal. And you have Travion and you have Chip with decisions to make. And then there's Dallin Hayden. So it's like, do you need a running back there? Like, Mm. I I look at linebacker as a position where you don't need somebody as much as you need somebody in other spots. Because at other spots, you could draw a pretty direct line to we need somebody to start and or we need somebody to play. And at linebacker, I'm just not sure that you are bringing somebody in as a, hey, man, you're going to play 45 snaps a game. Have fun. Whereas on the offensive line, if you bring in a trans like any position on the offensive line, if you bring in a transfer, I don't think that there's a decision that you can make where it's, ah, this guy's purely depth. I think the offensive line is in such a way that you can bring somebody in and say, you're going to have a chance to play. You're going to have a chance to compete for a starting job. and, And that's where I'm at.
0: Nathan, that's the last known departure through all this mess of a transfer portal and everything else that's been going on we did get one nfl draft declaration Myan williams has decided to wrap up his career here after four seasons a guy who at one point it was like you're only taking this guy because you missed out on guys like kendall milton and bijan Robinson, and so you now now you're flipping him from iowa state he flashes in the Sugar Bowl against Clemson and has a pretty quality career here, even if it didn't end necessarily the way maybe he wanted it to end with him. Even before the injury, it seemed like he was third on the hierarchy, but less about him. And this is maybe a more pressing issue now than it is for later. But Andrew just mentioned that Evan Pryor is already in the transfer portal, so he's not playing in the Cotton Bowl. Travion Henderson very well could not play in the Cotton Bowl. We don't know yet. He hasn't made this decision, but it's on the table for him to just decide to sit out Shit, them could potentially do the same thing. Is there any concern that like Dallin Hayden is the only scholarship running back available on December 29th?
1: I don't know if there's concern. You'd also have potentially Xavier Johnson to help you in the backfield for a game like that. I don't know that That's Xavier true. would be opting That's out. True. I think he would probably play even though he's, his eligibility is over and he's off the NFL. Um, Is it a concern? Uh, it, it's not great. Not not great, Bob. Like, <laughs> if you're trying to win that game, you would like some depth. And uh, Trevion's the big... Uh, well, I don't know. I, Chip Traynham is someone that I think as much as... He probably... Uh, he seems like a guy who could do what Master Teague did and impress in the pre-draft process, but, like, even to another level. Yeah. Like, even faster. Yeah. More athletic. Like... Th- we, we speculated at the time a couple years ago that Master T could go in and like earn himself some kind of a, you know, be one of those guys that teams, you know, the Patriots take him in the seventh round because they're like, oh, that guy's going to yeah. be a special teams killer and train him seems like even more like that. But that's not a guy who needs to opt out of a bowl game, right? In fact, I think you can go into a bowl game and help yourself a lot. So I would uh, health um, as long as he's healthy, I would ex- right now, I mm-hmm. would expect train to play in the cotton bowl. So that would give you two guys. I do think though, in that situation, especially because of the allowance that the NCAA has made to where the, where the post doesn't count against your, your red situation, which I don't, he didn't reach anyway. I, that's the one where I think you, you turn it over to Hayden, as long as Henderson's mm-hmm. not playing, like Hayden should be your starting running back that game.
0: Okay. I think that's all the departures so far. And as you're listening to this, maybe there's more departures and we'll talk about that next time we pod, but that's the world we live in now. There's over a thousand people in the treasure report right now, and it's probably only going to get bigger over this 30 day window here. We're going to take a quick break there early break, because when we come back, uh, there's some NIL stuff happening, potentially proposals that are being thrown out there that, impact ohio state especially maybe immediately here with a recruit that's going to be making his decision as you're listening to this podcast later on this evening so we'll get into some of that here when we come back on Buckeye talk get the text 614-350-3315 ncaa president charlie baker put out a proposal today for some major changes in the division one structure and when that happened we texted it first and then we wrote a story about it. And now we're going to talk about it here on this pod a little bit. But we texted it first. Anytime these transfers are happening, we're texting it first. Everything that happens in the Ohio State sphere, unless it's 530 in the morning, we're texting it first. Two-week free trial, three ninety nine. after that, 614-350-3315. And even the, that, it depends on what it is, man. Because if it's something Ryan Day related, we might just text it at 530 in the morning because that's pretty important. Well, look at the am probably not up 350-330-315. at 530 in the morning.
1: I'm probably not up at 5.30 in the morning.
0: My parental responsibilities
1: have me up Andrew usually no later. Bed, so than, Yeah, <laughs> my parental responsibilities usually have me up no later than 7.30. And that's what happened on Monday morning. 7.30, the alarm went off. I rolled over. I've got texts on my phone being like, Comic in in the portal? And I'm like, ugh. And uh, <laughs> I had to scramble for the next hour. So that's why that text didn't go up immediately, uh, frankly, it was because that first 20 minutes was... Just I don't know if you've ever been woken up in the from a deep sleep and had to then like operate like what you know, I one time I when I was covering basketball, I was covering Purdue basketball, a road trip in uh, at Nebraska, and I was trying to get out of town before this blizzard hit. And I didn't like I was I was literally on the interstate heading back to Omaha to get flights that were going out, and they shut down the interstate. Like I had to turn around and go back to Lincoln, and so I got a hotel for the night. And then at like three in the morning, the fire alarm went off because somebody had tried to had put some like wet clothes on a register somewhere in the somewhere in the hotel, and it set off the smoke alarm. So everybody in the hotel had to go down. But like that experience was like the most disoriented I've ever been trying to like operate in the in the fog of sleep. And then yesterday is probably a close second.
2: So I, I do need to add this. If if you're curious, I just thought that this was pertinent because I uh, it happened this morning. This is not a joke, this is not a bit. I woke up at seven AM, heart pounding, out of breath, because I had a dream and and oh I Ohio State fans should think of this as a nightmare. I had a night nightmare dream, whatever you wanna call it, that Edric Houston decommitted and I missed it. And I woke up and I was it, I, it was so real that I grabbed my phone and I started looking through my phone and it took me like three or four seconds to think like, wait a minute. OK, we're good. And then I had to and then I went back to sleep. But yeah, that's where my brain is at. So I know where Nathan's coming from because there was like a three or four second period this morning that I thought Edric Houston decommitted and that I had missed it and that everyone else had had it. And I had been the one person that just did not have anything on it. So that's where my mental state is right now.
0: That's only funny because in that instance, there would have been a million texts from Nathan and I and our boss, David going, true. Where yep. are you? Are you doing this? Somebody do something. Nothing like an out of the blue breaking news story on a Monday morning to get your week started off and give you a little bit of PTSD. This was not Monday morning news. This was actually more in the afternoon, Nathan. What happened? Uh, Charlie Baker's proposal, just like tell it to me like I'm five years old and what this means and what he wants to accomplish with this proposal and why it's important and why it's important that Gene Smith uh, also is endorsing this proposal as he's heading out the door in June.
1: Okay. Well, that's a, that's a lot to break down. Uh, you guys can I'll step away for a few <laughs> minutes and I'll just run through this. So everybody knows that they're that the backdrop of, of the NCAA right now is that there's, they've got antitrust lawsuits coming at them from all sides. There was just the a ruling in this case house versus NCAA that, that um, granted class status to three different groups of athletes. Now you've got it are Basically it was a suit that is suing for back NIL uh, from like 2016 on and now there's like 10,000 athletes or something like that covered by this suit. And it's going to potentially cost the NCAA billions of dollars um, per legal analysts. I'm, I'm not doing that on my own. Uh, so that's the backdrop in which people like Gene Smith have been publicly advocating for federal legislation to solve this. And I think that has been misguided because every time I hear – Senators talk about NIL. I want to um like just put a drill into my head because they do not know what they're talking about. They sound ignorant and insultingly out of touch with what they're supposed to be doing. And frankly, I don't think they're supposed to be doing it. There are more important things going on in the world than the fact that somebody's stepping in to give the NCA the oversight it can't give itself. But that's what he's been advocating for. But he's been advocating for it in the absence of Leadership from the NCAA and any kind of a, a a true path forward from within the NCAA and Charlie Baker, the new president who's been on the job for I don't know about eight nine months, stepped up today and, and sent this letter to the Division One members that proposed several things. Uh, the the most important of those things being a that 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 teams would be allowed to enter into NIL agreements with their athletes, which means that. It wouldn't be paying them as employees, technically, but that you could then directly give money to the athletes. And that's been, even under the allowance of NIL, that has been prohibited. It also, though, would create a, his proposal, he's proposing the creation of a new subdivision of Division One. In which schools could opt in, and it would be kind of the uh, what do you want to say, like the 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 top shelf, like behind the velvet rope, um, the 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 roped off area of the club, like the 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 schools that have the biggest brands that have the most financial resources. So Ohio State, like, is the is the the cream of it's it's exactly what they're talking about here, and it would give those schools. The option to to opt into this this tier, and you would have to pay at least thirty thousand dollars a year. Well, invest at least thirty thousand dollars a year in a trust fund for half of your student athletes. So for Ohio State, which has about a thousand student athletes, that would be about fifteen million dollars a year that it would have to set aside. And over the course of four years, that would be one hundred twenty thousand that could go to these two student athletes, and it would have to be distributed within you know Title Nine. Um, laws right. So there would have to be some gender equity here. It wouldn't just be all going to football and men's basketball players. Um, and then with, with by opting into that and making those payments, setting that money aside, that tier would then be allowed to work together the member schools to create their own rules related to. Recruiting and transfers and scholarships and roster size and probably coaching staff size and um, NIL and how it's used and how who can pay who and stuff. Like there would be a lot of freedom for that group at the top. And this has been sort of a part of the contentious nature of this is that you have these schools at the top who have felt constricted on uh, because the, the sport, you have so many schools who are tied together here that what works for Ohio state doesn't work for Ohio, for instance, that it's, you, you're talking about the school that has a $250 million revenue or whatever, 230, whatever the Ohio state last one was to schools that bring in much less money than that. But those schools have different priorities. They have, they're just, they just operate on a different scale. And this would allow those schools at the top, the freedom to do some of these things Without putting the burden on the smaller schools, um, and so th- that's why I think it's important that Smith, Gene Smith, stepped up like immediately and endorsed this idea, because you're talking about a school that would have to that would have to pay the most upfront cost to do this, but they are signing on to it, saying this is the kind of progress that uh, that that the sport needs. And by the way, I, I threw that fifteen million dollar number out there. Gene Smith has been talking for a couple of years now because I try to follow the budget process and I've talked to him specifically about this over the last couple of years. They've been, he has been manipulating thing. I don't want to use the word manipulating. He's been adjusting the budget over the last couple of years and adjusting revenue streams coming up with offsets and things like that so they could move money around in the budget because they knew this was coming. They either knew that the NCA would have a solution like this or that some kind of thing was going to be um just sort of foisted onto them right like they were gonna to have to accept some some way of paying athletes in the future they knew athlete compensation to some level from the athletic budget was coming and so Gene Smith has been tried to be proactive in making budgetary adjustments so that when it comes Ohio State is positioned to absorb that, which with, with the amount of money that it makes, I mean, 15 million is not nothing, but Ohio state would just, its revenue possibilities always could probably absorb that amount of money. It's, it's the lower level schools that are middle tier schools that might try to get up into this. and might have a little bit of trouble with it, but, um, still like Ohio state has knew this was coming. It knew this was coming in some form. And I think, um, I haven't talked to Gene yet, but I would imagine he feels that this coming from inside the NCAA, which you would assume that Baker isn't just pulling this out of a hat. Like he probably workshopped this a little bit and has talked to people, influential people, probably like Gene Smith as to how, how this would work, um, to have it come from within the, within the NCAA, rather than something that's um, you know, mandated to the, the member schools and to the NCA It's probably kind of refreshing. So we'll see what happens now. This is just a proposal. There's going to be a lot of discussions and things before it would potentially go into effect. But that's the biggest thing that would affect Ohio State is you're going to see a them be part of this new subset that operates kind of within its own rules and um, does not have to follow the same strictures that the NCAA has put in place all these years.
0: Can that? I, I from I think the the, the most important part because when people think NIL, they think recruiting, and so that's why I wanted to touch on this on this pod. Can that have a positive impact on how Ohio State can operate in the recruiting world where whether you agree with it or not, whether we all agree with it or not, there have been times where it's felt like Ohio State lost a battle because of an NIL situation more than anything else. So can that be a positive impact in helping negate some of that for Ohio State or at least taking that excuse off the table?
1: Well, some of that is a little bit TBD because it's going to come –
0: you know, Ohio Mm -hmm. State has had just –
1: no one has ever argued that Ohio State's potential earnings that it can offer athletes in the NIL sphere is not elite, like, among the best mm-hmm. in, in college sports. What has always been an issue for them has been kind of the department-wide policy and how much they were willing to allow the them to sort of tiptoe the... Uh, promising money up front kind of thing. The the recruiting inducements that, that Mm -hmm. schools are not supposed to be doing, but is clearly happening to some extent. And, um, so uh, we'll see what these new rules are, but I would assume that by entering into this, this upper tier, that there will be a more relaxed attitude to some extent towards these things. And that will, um, free Ohio State up to have a more liberal stance towards some of these things. I, I think also, though, we'll see how Ryan Day and the coaching staff talks about NIL as we get through this recruiting cycle. Because obviously, last year was when there was a lot of mm-hmm. angst going into signing day that they felt like down the stretch for signing day is where they got outbid, or or even if they were, or maybe mm-hmm. just outbid is probably not even the right word because you know they weren't bidding the way other teams were bidding (laughs) excuse me right and and it didn't happen like across the board it happened for a a few positions and a couple of key guys so we'll see if they get to signing day with everybody that they want but we've already seen where that's probably affected this class already right Mm -hmm. so uh they're probably not going to be but i also think that might also that might be an instance where. It was. It's not an outbid situation. We'll see how they. I, I'm curious how they're going to talk about it this time around, because over the past year, Ohio State has also made adjustments in the NIL sphere. You know, de-emphasizing the nonprofits, making a a more direct um, affiliation with the 1870 Society that is the for-profit arm. So you're not really dealing with the charitable stuff as much. You're going for bigger like corporate things and that's probably going to you know bring in a, a lot of money over time. So we'll see how they talk about it this year. Right now we think what Justin Scott was like one where by posting an edit with a right. bag of cash <laughs> in the background <laughs> maybe that was intentional maybe not. special moment well, man. But it it certainly sends the message that that was a factor in why he was flipping his commitment. And, but that's really the only one so far. We'll see if if Ohio State cites other instances of that um, as we get closer to signing day.
0: Justin Scott, who you're talking about, just recently flipped to Miami in the last week and a half. You're the number 12 player, number three defensive lineman out of Chicago, where, to your point, I mean, it, 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 that, there was a point in the spring when Ohio State was on its run of commitments, Nathan, where Ryan Day did feel good about where things were headed with things. And NIL didn't seem to be as big of an issue now. So if you're talking about a one-off situation, it will be interesting when we get to signing day in about two weeks here, what his tone is on that day around the class that right now, Andrew is still ranked second in the country.
2: Yeah. uh, I want to go back to, before we get into that, I want to go back to the payments for, for this. Um, I think that, you know, you said $30,000 per athlete every year. And that goes into a quote, enhanced educational trust fund. I have questions about this and how this is going to work because I don't know about you guys, but every other week, I get a paycheck directly deposited into my bank account. And if you have a job, you get a paycheck directly deposited into your bank account. You do you not sign on with cleveland.com. Yeah, I was gonna make that joke, Nathan. God dang it! Uh, <laughs> I, I am thought not about going it. to
0: disclose my financial situation to this public audience.
2: <laughs> but everybody gets everybody get you get a job and you get paid. And I'm pretty sure you guys would not have signed on, and nobody listening to this would sign on to a job where they said, "Hey, we're going to pay you your entry level salary when you first get out of college. We're going to pay you fifty thousand dollars a year." But don't worry, it's going into a trust fund. I got questions about that because so Social Security. Yeah, like how does that? Because the whole the whole push here from former athletes in the NCAA has been status as employees. You've seen this with Northwestern, like a decade ago. You've seen this with a lot of just a lot of these cases throughout the last, you know, however long that this is what these players have been after that to be qualified as employees. And this doesn't do that. And I wonder what the legality of that is, if that makes sense. Like I'm looking at this and and I kind of read through this. And the thing that I kept thinking is these guys are not going to be classified as employees of a university under this, as far as I could tell, as far as I read, as far as I know that they're not going to be classified as employees. And I don't know if that's legal. Right, like I don't know if that's like possible. So I, I, I have, I would say I have uh, some some red flags were raised when I read some of this stuff because to me this just kind of felt like the NCAA saying, well, we'll pay them sort of, kind of, not really, maybe, and we'll hope that that gets everybody off our backs. But that's not what some of these players and you know some of these lawsuits are about they're about employment status and if you're not going to make a kid an employee like if Marvin Harrison Jr is not going to be an employee of Ohio State i think that that might throw a wrench into this thing here because then you're just because what i read was schools would get to decide when you get this money so it's not you're going to get $30,000 at the end of a school year or you're going to get a biweekly paycheck or you're going to get anything like that this is going to be this might, this might end up being, if you're going to get $30,000 for for per year, for year, four years, you might just get a $120,000 check as soon as you're done with college. Now, would I have loved a $120,000 check when I was done with college? Absolutely. But if I was working a job that demanded $30,000 a year, I would have probably wanted that $30,000 well, a year before that. I'm
1: also not sure ahead, 100% everybody. on this because it's, it's, I don't know if this is just an equation new, of how yeah. much it's, it's an equation of how much you pay into this trust fund. I'm not, yeah. I don't know that it's cause it's, it's just an equation of like at least half your athlete for half your athletes and at least this much money to create yeah. this fund. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's then paid out. It, I don't know how it's paid out. I think it's, I think exactly. this seems accumulating like a, a, this or... amount of money and then you, you, you get something, and maybe that's up to each school to decide how much it's paying. Yeah, out. I think it I, is. I, guess. Yeah, I, think this, I think they're giving them
0: a lot like of autonomy. Very, it's a this seems part of it that's a very fluid situation right yeah. now because I don't know if it's going to be as simple as if. Let's just like this came out Tuesday afternoon, so this is literally step sure. one of of all this coming. This could get to a point where it's a conversation when you're talking to a recruit of how you want this to work out and whatnot. So who knows? This is this is all speculation yeah, yeah. right now, but. At least there is something that is publicly out there that Charlie Baker is working on, has put out a proposal for a new way of doing things. And there's part of it that has an impact potentially for Ohio State and how they do things. And its current athletic director, as he's heading out the door, has publicly endorsed it. That's the most important part of this right now because it's something that will continue to evolve here over, like everything else in this sport will. Yeah, Let's take deep- one last break and then we'll get into the Go ahead. As I say, the details are, are less important right now. It's more that that yeah. just
1: knowing that Ohio State will be sort of a flagship program in that, if it, if this proposal is enacted, a flagship program yes. in that, that subset, that subdivision, that new subdivision of FCS that he's talking about. And you would assume that this is, that subdivision has more to do with football than anything else. And it's probably going, so what we could be looking at also are changes to the postseason format or something Uh at that point too. I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot that isn't, that that the the, the details to this point aren't 100% clear
0: on. It's just that a major change is potentially going to get enacted here. Fuck like you said. We say that every four months in this sport. Let's take one last break, <laughs> and then we'll get into the last important thing that's <laughs> that's happened here, and that's five-star offensive lineman Jordan Seaton, who will be making his decision on Wednesday evening with Ohio State in the running, coming off an official visit this weekend. So we'll get into more of that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text. 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 Jordan Seaton Andrew is making his decision on Wednesday at some point. I don't know if there's an exact time, or not maybe Thursday, you know that information. Thursday the 7th. Thursday the 7th. Okay. Thursday the 7th. Wednesday the 6th. So Thursday the 7th, Jordan Seaton will be making a decision with Ohio State in the running, coming off an official visit. That's his number 15 player, the top tackle in the country. And Andrew just, I mean, he announced that he was making this decision basically 24 hours after he left Columbus. Is that a good thing and a good sign for Ohio State, who quite frankly needs a big-time offensive tackle recruit in this class?
2: Yeah, I think it is a really big deal. Um, You always want to have that lasting impression. He left Columbus, like you said, and immediately pivots to, I'm going to make a decision – you always want that last visit. You always want that to be the last impression that a kid has. And that's where you're at right now with, with Seaton. So I think you have to feel fairly confident about it, especially considering kind of the not just the position that he plays and the quality of player that he is. I mean, he's the number 15 overall composite player in the 24 class. He's a five star offensive tackle. Ohio State might need some of those. If you hadn't been listening to this podcast or haven't watched Ohio State football, they might need a couple of those high level players. And I I would feel pretty good about it going in. Obviously, there are some other contenders, Alabama, Florida, Colorado, Tennessee, uh, Maryland's in there. He's Oregon's in there. He's from the DC area. Um, so the, the pull to stay home is something that, you know, that's why Maryland's in there. If that kind of feels like they doing in there? That's that's the one. Um, but he played at IMG Academies from the DC area. Like This would be, I think you could make a very good argument, Ohio State's biggest recruiting win along the offensive line since Nicholas Petit-Ferrer in 2018. Because you got Paris Johnson and that was a big swing and that was a big move obviously in 2020, but that's a Cincinnati kid. That's a Cincinnati kid that you go get And he's an Ohio kid who just so happened to be a five-star recruit, uh, the top 10 player in the country. He just was in your backyard and you were able to go get this kid. Whereas with Seton, Seton plays his high school football in Florida right now because he plays at IMG Academy. And he is from DC and you had to go out of state to get this kid and you had to go on the road to get this kid. And you had to go out of market to get this kid. That to me is a big deal. So, you know, it would represent a, I think a big win for Ohio state in ways that people have been kind of clamoring for, for the last couple of weeks and months, you know, everybody, I mean, we listen to our textures all the time and, you know, people always ask questions whenever Steven and I do our recruiting pod or whenever I do a Hey Andrew segment or whatever. People always ask about the offensive line. How come the offensive line recruiting isn't what the quarterback is, what the receivers are, what the corners are, what this is, what that is? Well, this is it. Like this is the guy that you can get that would represent a big, big swing for Ohio State's offensive line. Because, again, it's hard to play offensive line as a freshman at a big 10 level at a school that wants to win a national championship. But if there was a kid that could do it or a type of kid that could do it, it's Seton because these are the kids that can come in and make an immediate impact. So you look at Ohio State's depth chart, you look at where, you know, there's some opportunities maybe available and Seton has a chance to come play right away. That's something he's talked about as that's important to him and just adding him to this class. I think it would be big for what it is on the field. But what it would represent is also just as big, I think.
0: Nathan, is that before we get into that part, the, potential, the freshman playing right away part, because we've been on this road with Paris shots before, but I do want to touch on that. But first, it seems like this is a big thing for Justin Fry, because in the 2022 class, excuse me, 2023 class, we talked about how, OK, well, you didn't get Caden Proctor who is now starting at Alabama as a five-star true freshman, but you got in late. You probably didn't have a chance to do that anyway. And so you at least did the bare minimum. You got Luke Montgomery, you got Josh Padilla, you got Austin Cerville, and then you maybe got Miles Walker, who might be a long-term pro- project, but still, okay. You didn't fall off a clip with the recruiting, but this 2024 class has felt like, okay, Justin Fry, what you made of? And so far the class is fine, I guess. It's a fine class, but there's not the justin fry went out and got a guy so is that for? it's almost like a validation of why ryan day went out and got justin fry if you can get a guy like jordan seaton to come here
1: no it's 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 the standard at every position that ohio state goes and gets national prospects and brings them here and you know there's a lot of they like to play the uh well you know we got these in-state guys who wanted to be buckeyes and i'm like well Sure, but like Garrett Wilson wanted to be a Buckeye, and JT Tuamaloa wanted to be a Buckeye, and Chase Young wanted to be a Buckeye, and they're coming from all over the country, uh, buckets of guys from Georgia and Florida and California. So don't 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 tell me that that somehow getting a a lesser prospect in state because he really wants to play for the Buckeyes somehow gets you closer to winning uh, at Michigan, because um, it 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 doesn't. <laughs> no one believes that it does. So they, that you have to have both. Yes. You have to be able to get every guy you want in your, in that like four hour sphere of of your home base. But you've at Ohio state's level, if you're not out getting guys like this, we've seen it. We see it. We look, go look at the offensive line right now. Like there's deficiencies that they had to rely on the fallback guys, the plan B guys, or go to the portal because they weren't having this kind of success nationally. And you don't have to get like multiple guys per class, but I don't think you can go multiple classes without getting guys like this. And it's a, it's a tough juncture to be potentially turning in the offensive line group they have right now on top of the offensive line that they're putting together right now. I think there's, we got to the end of this season and there's probably a reassessment that needs to be done of how good this offensive line actually was this year. Um, because at one point it clearly was not good. You look at it over the course of a season. I thought the pass protection for common court was pretty solid for the most part all season. And when Trevin Henderson came back healthy, happened to either, either he did it on his own, which I don't think is completely true, or it coincided with an offensive line that by playing together was sort of figuring some things out. So I think the blocking was better at the time he came back. And that, perfect storm led to a pretty great like five week stretch for trevin henderson so there's reason for optimism but i also think you look at it and say that offensive line has to be better next year and if you're also not you're also going to be looking at an offensive line that is getting to the end of its careers in some cases you know Mac. Matt Jones is already leaving. Donovan Jackson will be a fourth-year guy. Josh Fryer will be a, either a fourth- or fifth-year guy. I can't remember off the top of my head. Like, you're getting late in the careers of some of these guys, and who's going to be coming in behind them? Uh, you've got to start replenishing the plan A's that you have in that room. And and uh, Jordan Seaton would be anyone's plan A. So that's the kind of guy, like, I don't know that they're getting – you need, I think, multiple plan A's on the offensive line in every class. I don't think they have that right now. Even if you're not getting five-star, top 100 guys, you mm-hmm. can still be a, a – like Luke Whippler was always a plan A guy. He wasn't a top 100 prospect, but was a plan yep. A guy. You know what I mean? Like those guys have to be in every class. I would say even Carson Hinsman, a plan A guy. I think the plan got accelerated. I don't yep. think they necessarily wanted him starting as a redshirt freshman <laughs> at, in that way, but what are you going to do? So uh, like you got to get multiple of those guys in every class, and I, you guys have followed the intricacies of this – closer than i have but i do not think that that exists in that class right now i think you have to try to get someone Seton, or flip someone else because if not it's you're 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 already taking this class and projecting well that that's a portal guy we're gonna have to get someday and as we've seen you leave yourself Uh at the mercy of the portal who's actually in there and can you actually get them
0: So, I want to ask both of you guys this. Nathan, I'll start with you because we've been down this road before. When Paris Johnson got here in 2020, we were wondering hey, can he start as a true freshman, five star tackle, maybe the best tackle recruit, not player, just recruit since Orlando Pace, which was probably always crazy to say, but hey, we get a little crazy on this pod sometimes. It didn't end up happening. But that's also because Thayer Munford was at that point a three-year starter, and Nicholas petit was a five-star recruit coming into his third year, and he was ready to play. So the fact that they didn't need Paris Johnson to start was fine. It was actually a good thing. In fact, they didn't even need him to be the left tackle until year three because the offensive line was so loaded at that point. He was playing right guard. I mentioned this before. Caden Proctor was a number nine player in the top tackle in 2023 class. Committed to Iowa and then flipped to Alabama because he actually wanted to play offense. But (laughs) that's not the only reason why. But Ah. it's probably on the list. But that's a guy from the Big Ten footprint who probably Ohio State should have had. But they didn't get. Whatever. But the point is Alabama had clear holes on its offensive line in a way that allowed a five-star true freshman to start from day one. When you look at Josh Simmons and Josh Fryer as tackles, did those two guys play well enough that it's unreasonable to think a five star can't come in here and take one of those jobs? Or should we be on alert for that idea of someone of that caliber, if physically he matures in the way he needs to, could take one of those two jobs?
1: Well, again, I think that anytime you talk about these things, it needs to be, it's sort of what you're hinting at, that it needs to be because this Mm -hmm. guy comes in so ready and so skilled that he can do it. It can't be, well, mm-hmm. somebody's got to play. Are we just banking on the upside of this freshman who's got a, a long ways to go, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe we'll see flashes, you know, I, that's what it felt like this past year when there was a lot of talk about whether Luke Montgomery could make that jump. And because uh-huh. it didn't sound like they were, I mean, they were complimentary of what he did coming in, but it was always against the backdrop of, are you watching these tackles this spring? Oh my God. Like what is going on here? And then hence you have to go find Josh Simmons. And I, it, it, so no, I guess it's it, you, there's nobody on that offensive line that I would say, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the common Accord discussion. Like, you've got four returning starters on that offensive line. We assume if Donovan Jackson comes back and all those guys who are the front runner to start next year, I don't think they're locked in and especially with Montgomery there too, you got to include him. Like they really were complimentary of him. So that's somebody else you would have to beat out. I, you would hope, I think Ohio state would, Ohio state wants, here's what Ohio state ha- wants. And this is true at every position. You want all of these guys on the offensive line to be better going into next year because then if a freshman does come in and demand to play and beat somebody out and forces their way into the offensive line that's what's actually making the offensive line better if it's just a thing where 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 these guys don't make progress and that's what opens the door for somebody to come in and start as a true freshman that's that's not ideal
2: Andrew, what do you think of that idea yeah nathan kind of you know took the words out of my mouth i think you you want to be in a position where like if you get a Jordan Seaton, you it, I think if Jordan Seaton were to play in twenty twenty four, it means something either really good has happened or something really bad is happening, and you want to be in a position where it's something good because you want to be in a position where you feel good with hey like Montgomery's the best right tackle we have and Josh Simmons is the best left tackle we have and okay there we go. I mean, I I know Nathan was mentioning some guys there like Tegra Shibola. How do you feel about him making a jump? Do you feel good about like about Fryer moving into guard? Like, do you feel good about him at tackle? Like, there are certain situations and it's important to remember. I understand IMG Academy is crazy and how good they are and how they run things and how it's basically like college. But it'd be a fake school. Yeah, like a college weight program is different. A college weight program, especially in the offensive line and defensive line is different. And I understand some of these kids, especially the five-star kids, are just built different. They are like different human beings from the rest of us. They are just freaks at everything. They're just insanely athletic. So I get that. But these kids, I mean, you're also talking about him coming in and competing against guys that have been in a weight room, that have been in a college offense, that have done this for a couple of years. And that's a really, really tough thing to do. And that's a really, really tough thing because on the offensive line, it's not just technique and skill and all these other things. Like at receiver, like you you got to be able to match up physically against somebody who's twenty two. We're still in the COVID years. The COVID guys haven't washed out. You might be going up against a twenty three year old dude on whatever team that you're going to play, and you're eighteen years old. Like that's a difficult challenge for an offensive lineman to face. So, I think you you want to be in a position where. He's either forcing himself onto the field like Nathan was saying because he has to play or he's like just not going to play because you feel good with Luke Montgomery and Josh Simmons as your left and right tackle and then you can figure out the interior later. Like you want to be in a position where you are not forced to play him. If you're playing him, that either means that, hey, he's balling and this is a dude who is going to go in the first round in three years or... This is uh oh. We <laughs> we're we're we are we we do not like what our what we got at tackle. The guys haven't made a jump that we wanted, and now we have to play this freshman. You want to be in a position where you want to play this freshman, not that you need to play this freshman.
0: So that'll happen on Thursday, December seventh. Five star recruit Jordan Seaton, the number fifteen player, the number one tackle in the country will make his decision with ohio state in the running get the text 614-350-3315 whatever happens whether he picks ohio state or picks any other school andrew will be texting it and we'll be writing about it we'll be doing videos about it too. check out our youtube channel just type in buckeye talk in the youtube search bar and you can see all the videos we're doing listen we've been doing a lot of videos so far and they're doing well so check those out as well the rest of the week plan for the pod is we're going to break down both of these quarterbacks because in some capacity, we're probably expecting both to play. Whatever that looks like is still TBD, depending on what Ryan Day decides to do with that position, but it's fair to assume maybe we see both, and this will be the most extended look we'll see at both of those guys this season as they head into a, a off season where, once again, the starting quarterback job is completely up for grabs because the guy who had it last year isn't even on the roster anymore. Now, he, as we've said, you can go on the transfer portal and come back, but I don't know how often that happens, just off the top of my head. Somebody enters the transfer portal and then decides to still come back to the school that they're leaving. So that's what we'll be doing the rest of the week. We'll do one day where it's completely dedicated to Devin Brown, and then the next day we'll be completely dedicated to Lincoln Keenholes. And then next Monday we'll kind of we'll review some market Monday Monday stuff. Where were we right? Where were we wrong? Last bit of news: Marvin Harrison Jr., the latest Ohio State football player to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. So that's Chase Young, Dwayne Haskins. Justin Fields, and CJ Stroud twice since Ryan Day took over the program. who we'll have been Heisman Trophy finalists. We'll find that information out on Saturday, whether or not he wins the award, and if not, where he finishes. But that will wrap up this episode of Buckeye Talk. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.